Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast in English exclusively dedicated to the... <laughs> I'm just uh, being careful with my adjectives here because Ollie said I couldn't repeat what I said last week. <laughs> to, uh, well, in my opinion, the most entertaining, unpredictable, surreal, chaotic, brilliant competition in, in club football. You've the used comp- up so many there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No margin for uh, no margin to expand in the weeks to come. The Copa Libertadores, we're at the group stage of the competition, um, match day two, and it was another match week, Ollie, that just did not fail to disappoint. It was amazing. We talked in this pod about um, all the games, all the goals. There was, a, there was an eight-goal thriller. We talked about the veteran strikers peeling themselves back from Europe to be back in uh, South American football, banging them in. We had a nice chat about uh, Gabriel Gabigol Barbosa and his future. Uh, we talked about the Brazilian big boys, Palmeiras and Flamengo, looking absolutely awesome. And uh, and lots else. Uh, Andre Villas-Boas slipped into the chat as well. So so there we go, Ollie. But a really enjoyable pod to, to record, my friend. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, let's this calibre of football continue and the entertainment continue at this point because it started with a bang. They've, there are some clubs that have actually set themselves quite a tough task, I think, from this point on of achieving these high standards. And when we start later on in the pod with talking about Group A and Palmeiras, you're going to look at them. And anybody who hasn't had an opportunity should get online and look at the performance that they and Flamengo put in. Mm. I think Palmeiras at the moment just edge it for me this week on terms of a team performance. Flamengo, I think you would still put down as a perhaps a more dangerous side in their squad in total. But look, let's not count out the Argentinians. Let's not count out some of these weird and wonderful teams from the likes of Ecuador, arguably the third best league and uh, mm. and footballing country on this continent that I think is actually closing the gap on Argentinian football at this point, considering yeah. how River have started slow again. And, you know, Vélez struggled this week as well. They're there could be a changing of the guard coming. Who knows? Argentinian football is stuck in its ways at this point with its membership structures. And... Well, he also definitely not getting through immigration at Buenos Aires Airport now, is he? <laughs> and we've also noticed, Ollie, that one podcast is exactly the length of this. Uh, is exactly the duration that it takes me to drink one of these lovely uh, cherry-flavoured flavored sparkling waters that you... Which we won't mention the name of yet because we're not officially being sponsored by them yet. So there's no point in... Matter uh... of time, mate. Matter exactly. of time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen... Enjoy the pod. Redes to try and kill the tie off. The vital away goal in the first leg and the Libertadores group stage ceiling goal in the second. Back in and kept alive as well and rifles into the back of the net. Just exquisite! Fidel Martinez, you are sensational! It's kind of disgusting and amazing at the same time. I just love the zero 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 zero. Anyway, let's let's jump into um let's jump into group A, Ollie. Okay. And uh, before we were kind of touching on it prior to prior to this, but before we actually talk about the nitty-gritty of Group A and all the groups in the group stages of the Libertadores, the second round of fixtures. What did you have any kind of overarching thoughts from this round of fixtures? Because I thought, first of all, it's another great round of games, you know, in terms of goals, in terms of highlights and, uh, you know, unbelievable clashes. I think it was another really, really fantastic round of fixtures. And also my one of my big takeaways, which you, I saw in match day one, but also match day two, is even though the big RG boys won, 
some of the performances from these big Brazilian clubs, there is a gulf between the two. And it's so, so hard, even at this early stage of the tournament, to not see a big Brazilian side winning it. I mean, Flamengo and Palmeiras already have set down huge markers, I think. And then you also look at, obviously, Sao Paulo and, and, and Inter to a lesser extent. Um and, and some of the other brilliant Brazilian sides in this second tier. But Palmeiras and Flamengo right from the off. I, I just don't think Boca and River are, are anywhere close to those two sides. The the only reason I would potentially say that either Boca or River can get at those two sides is because, well, when particularly you look at Boca, the, the, they're built on, again, that defensive foundation. And to get past one of these big Brazilian sides, you're going to need that because you're not going to be able to outgun either of those two teams that you mentioned in particular. But then you look at the way, you know, it was a huge result this week for Inter bouncing back as well um, after such a disappointing start to the tournament. There's plenty of quality elsewhere. I mean, Sao Paulo still looked like one of the best sides in this tournament as well. They were so good last week, probably the best looking team in terms of the style of football they played last week. And, and they lived up to that again this week. So, and it's something we've been worried about the golf between Brazilian football and everybody else on the continent, let alone the golf between the rest of the continent and the big two nations, Argentina and Brazil. And that is starting to show on this, uh, in this competition already this year. Mm. But look, the travel, the outside influences that can happen, the, the managerial movements and player movements that are going to take place. I mean, I was looking at Defensor Justicia's side. They've got a few of their key players who are on the score sheet this week who are going to be gone potentially in June because of its uh, a loan-based side at the moment. You know, there are going to be some key players that end up moving on at some point in the next six months. And uh, and, and that's going to throw a real spanner in the works. If, if you catch the eye in South America, you know, people in Europe might start looking at Gabby Goal again, for instance. I think the amazing thing to me, going across all of these group games, we had one nil-nil. Yeah. Sarah Potenio, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is pretty <laughs> yeah. insane yeah. for the number of games that we have every single week. 16 games and only one ends up being goalless. Yeah, yeah, no, it was really good. Let's uh, let's dive into Group A then, Oli. Um, Palmeiras, the defending champions, five, Independiente del Valle, nil. Kind of off pod before this, Oli was, was talking about, uh, well, you can see you got the IDV shirt here and he was saying, now oh, you watched the whole game and you watched it towards the end, even towards the end of that game. I mean, we know how good... Palmeiras are, but I think it's just a further demonstration of that. Yeah, IDV were poor, they made errors, but uh, but Palmeiras were just so, so impressive. And for me, you know, when you look at, not to immediately be creating comparisons with Boca and River, but when you look at Boca and River, you look at maybe two or three players that are standout players that could make things happen. But then when you look at Palmeiras and Flamengo, there's just so many footballers. I mean, you, it's literally the, the bloated nature and the quality of that squad is just amazing. I mean, you know, Ronnie scores, Patrick De Paula, Luis Adriano, Ronnie scored a brace. Um, they've they got so much quality. That's not even mentioning, you know, um, Gabriel Menino and, and all these other players that uh, didn't even play. So there is so much quality in the side, this Palmeira side. I guess what you could say this year, Ollie, is, is, is hopefully we see them you know, score more goals and just be even more free-flowing, not just in the group stages, but in the knockout stages as well. Well, that was last year with Palmeiras. Was that there were some impressive results against lesser opposition in perhaps the group stage, certainly the early part of the knockout stage. But really, they had one great performance against decent opposition. Yeah. Now, after we've been giving Independiente del Valle the big one, well, for two years almost, basically on this uh, podcast, they came a cropper, and they came they came a cropper because of Palmeiras's quality that they've got in that side. You mentioned all of those names. I mean, okay, I've got a stat on Ronnie, right? Who mm. I think last year was 
player of the tournament, in Agreed. my opinion. The best. He might be one of the, probably the best footballer in the Copa Libertadores at this moment in time. If you listen to, uh, to this stat. So since his debut in the Libertadores for Palmeiras, mm. no player has participated in more goals directly in the Libertadores. 16 in total, seven goals and nine assists. It's quite incredible yeah. how how good he is at playing both the goal scoring role and being that creative spark and if you're independiente del valle you make three cataclysmic errors defensively i mean the youngster william pacho the 19 year old has two balls like run under his foot basically leading to two, the, two of the first two goals pejorano has a mistake as well in mm. the build-up to the first goal as well that the, the, there were poor errors from a independiente del valle side that that switched formation as well, going to four at the back, perhaps to try and bolster things up when they looked so good with a back three and the roaming wing backs. Uh, they didn't have Ortiz, of course. Brian Montenegro, the ex-Olympia player, comes in to help lead the line instead, who has goals in him. He's a good forward in the Libertadores, but considering the way that Ortiz has started this tournament, yeah. you would rather have him in the starting eleven. And yeah, they, they, got, they got picked apart. They had chances themselves. I mean, it was still such an open game. As a neutral, the entertainment value there was so high. But Palmeiras just were unstoppable. And that second goal from Ronnie. Oh, yeah, it's quality. That, that ball in with Big pace Luis, isn't it, and, a, and a first time finish that goes into the roof of the net. Even though it's close range, it mm. just looks spectacular. It was awesome. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I thought, um, yeah, Victor Luis and Marcus Rocha just providing the width and, and kind of feeding it in and Ronnie playing slightly more centrally. When you say Ronnie, you go give those stats about Honey and obviously you know, incredible in terms of assists last year and, and a couple of goals in this one. Yeah, he, he very he very well may be the best player in the tournament again this year. I was thinking of similar players. I don't think on their day, Bruno Enrique or Sebastian Vigia are a million miles behind him, to be honest. No, not at all. Um, you know, in terms of individual quality. I guess they're a little bit different maybe in, ter- in, in the sense that uh, Vigia is more of an individual and Bruno Enrique is similar to Ronnie in that goals and assists and he, he sort of ties everything through uh, ties everything together really nicely but listen honey I mean he's 25 years of age jolly I mean can Palmeiras keep him well they keep him this year yeah definitely they keep him this just year just because there's too much turmoil and you know I don't think he's leaving this year but I also don't understand again why these Brazilian clubs have got the money to pay yeah. these players fairly well it's not like you're going from an ecuadorian side to somewhere like ghent like we mm. saw with the, you know preciado has done he's he's gone there to get european football and to get the money but you can be part of again something very special at palmeiras be on a great wage as well set yourself out as being one of the best players in south american football and be a legend at that club and potentially lead them to to great things because you know, it's really easy to be reactive in the Copa Libertadores from one week to the next. But Palmeiras this week showed us exactly what we thought about them at times last year and going into this tournament, considering they've kept the bulk of the squad. This is a team that's going to compete for this title again this year. Yeah, absolutely. So Palmeiras, uh, yeah, two wins from two, scored eight goals in two games, looking very, very strong indeed. Uh, elsewhere in Group A, Defensa Justicia 3, Universitario Nil, um, yeah, I mean, a, a really good performance from defence this year. Um, Becker, it was funny watching Becker Sese on the on the touchline. I mean, he is really, really pumped up. Also, the mask around the neck, which is 
<laughs> it's something that you see a lot of anyway, like in, in Europe or whatever. But uh, in South America, they seem to have absolutely mastered it because they, they're they supposed to wear it outdoors, whereas we don't really have that in, in London or whatever. Yeah. So they've got it on, but the mask around the neck is just big. And Becca Sessa, yeah, he's, he's all over that. But uh, defensive use, these are really impressive. Walter Bow with a couple of goals, looked good. Pizzini scored the other. Uh, yeah, they look very well placed to qualify. Yeah, they, they do. They, I mean, we saw in their first game against Independiente Del Valle, they can play great football, even though they barely had the ball in that first game. Mm. Um, but we saw it last year as well. I mean, Walter Boo was a, a key player in their push towards the Sudamericana final last year, as was Pizzini. Both of them, though, on loan. One from Boca, uh, Pizzini on loan from Independiente. He will be going back in July at the moment. We still haven't seen Brian Romero play either, who was the top goal scorer in the Sudamericana last year. But he's another loan player that I think is going to be going back to Independiente come the middle of this year rather than the end of this year. However, I think Walter Bow is here until the end of um, this calendar year. So there's still a lot of uncertainty around... Defence at Eustisia and the squad they're going to then bring in to potentially the knockout stages or the Comet Ball Sudamericana, depending on where they finish in this group. I think what we've realised is that Universitario are way off the pace in Group A compared to the those around them. Mm. I mean, it, it's so tough for them. Being back in the Libertadores once again and you get drawn with three excellent footballing sides that are a good watch play football as what we I guess say is the right way sure um and and they they just seem destined to be uh, to be finishing fourth in this group I'm afraid yeah no it was always going to be tough for them it's a really tricky group eh? also impressed by Nahuel Gachado for Defensa Justicia and you were talking about loan players Ollie and I was just checking there to make sure he hadn't been signed by Defensa Justicia but he is on loan from River and of course you you'll recognize the uh the surname and Nahuel Gachado is the the son of um Marcelo Gachado oh, Jesus Marcelo Gachado doesn't look old enough to have a 22-year-old <laughs> son, does he? Absolutely mad. Uh, but he was really impressive, Oli. Really, really impressive on the left-hand side. They kind of played with those two wing-backs. And um, yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, he looked very lively. And uh, yeah, he assist for Bo's um, uh, first goal. And yeah, he, he really caught the eye. What about the penalty technique from Walter Bo? Loved it. Yeah, love the eyes. I know you're a uh, a penalty a stickler for the penalty techniques. I don't. I what I don't like is the million step run up. Okay, I don't like that, and I don't like the yeah. I don't like the shuffle. I don't like the million step run up. I do like the Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. The kind of the three, the, the very the walking pace run up. And, and what I liked about that from Walter Bow is that he he his eyes are on the goalkeeper the whole time. Yeah, it's really impressive to me. Uh, he just. It's that kind of game of bluff and, and tucks it away. Love that pen. In fact, there were some good pens this there week. Were, there were some good pens. <laughs> yeah. I've got some more penalties to bring up later on. But yeah, I was interested as uh, as a stickler, as I say, for penalty technique, mm. what you thought. Yeah, very cool and calm from 12 yards. Very impressive. Um, I mean, it could have been slightly different. Federico Alonso, when he hit the bar in the first yeah. half, that could have been a bit more of a, a game changer for Universitario. They needed to get something early in these games on the road to feel like they're in them. Otherwise, they just this week at least, looked like they were well out of it after 25 minutes or so. Uh, and that leaves, in terms of Group A, Oli, Palmeiras, two wins from two, six points. They're, you know, they're obviously very well placed to finish top. Defensive Eustacea, um, four points from two games. I mean, I think IDV, I know they've just got a point from their opening two games. I, they're still in this. There's st- you know, still four games oh, yeah. to play in the group, Oli, in terms of the fixtures next week. Uh, IDV at home against the Universitario on the 5th of May. Got to win that one, the Ecuadorians. Yeah, I mean, there's no shame in IDV losing at Palmeiras. Mm-hmm. It's more the the, the, the margin of defeat that's the problem. Um, but yeah, no, still right in this group. It is 
defensor Eustisia though, an IDV from the looks of it that will battle it out for that last spot uh, to go through second in the group. Um, I can't see Palmeiras if they continue this level of performance or if they can maintain this and capitalize on mistakes because it's going to be nervous playing this side as well because you know if you make any small error they're going to pick you off mm. you're under so much pressure defensively on the ball particularly at times when they decide to operate in that high press so yeah idv is still very much in this whoever drops into the sudamericana from this group gonna be a really fun watch and yeah. potentially one that could go on and win it and i think as well for defensory justicia just finally bringing back becca sese one of the smartest managerial decisions that you can make because obviously becca sese took them up into the top flight of argentinian football got them where they were and then crespo came in took them on after becca sese went to racing so to bring back that guy it's just a guy that knows the club and I think it helps to acclimatise with the situation again and can breed early success than a manager that perhaps hasn't been there for any amount of time, doesn't know the club and, and then gets a bit lost and confused with what he, what he wants to do with that side. Um, group B? Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about Group B. Um, Internacional four, Deportivo Tachira nil. A really important result for Inter Oli after losing against Always Ready last time out in Group B. It actually puts them top of the table because the result elsewhere was uh, Olympia two, Always Ready one. Uh, let, let's talk about Inter them. I mean, Deportivo Tachira that they, they weren't very impressive, but. But Inter took their, took their chances. I know you, you talk about Patrick quite a lot in the past. And when he shows up, he really makes a big difference for Inter. Uh, Tiago Gallardo scored. Uh, Victor Cuesta. Um, and then Yuri Alberto, who he's a player. I think he's pretty, he must be 20, 21. He's pretty young. Mm. I like him a lot. I know he hit, the, he hit the bar last week and he was quite impressive with his overall play. And in this, he scored one and then he could, could have scored another. And he just looks, he's got a little burst of pace, very creative in the final third. I think he could be a really good player for Inter this year. Yeah, I, I question his decision-making, obviously, after he left Santos mm -hmm. midway through the year when the COVID situation hit and then played uh, against Boca, I think, last year for Inter in the Libertadores. And, you know, back the wrong horse, shall we say, mm. last season. Uh, but no, it looks a really bright young prospect they they need a bit of life in this side because it can't all come from Patrick as a box-to-box -box midfielder playing him out of position this week but he still made a great impact um, I, I think you can tell they're playing Patrick out of position because when he eventually gets his goal on the initial break he's waiting inside the area for a good 30 seconds just for that square ball that never comes and it's fortuitous that it falls to him at his feet off a couple of rebounds that he then tucks it away. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if that's a case of like, well, we don't actually trust you in this like left wing role than we would say, you know, Lisandro Lopez when he was uh, not Lisandro Lopez. Um, Lopez, the Uruguayan they had a couple of seasons ago, for instance, who made a great impression whenever he came off the bench and, uh, and injected some life into their side. But he wants to play uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez, Mauricio, in the heart of the pitch, the 19-year-old, who I haven't seen much of. But it seems a very interesting player that he will kind of shoehorn other people around to fit into the side. Okay. Seems quite ballsy. Mm. Obviously, he knows how good youngsters can 
produce on this level with what he did with Independiente del Valle and the Sudamericana with a young side. But it does seem odd. It's a great result for them. It's a result they needed, and it's a result and a performance that you would expect from them as a bounce-back performance against a, a poor Tachira side. But I still think I still have some questions just about Inter at the moment, and it doesn't pave over all of the cracks in this side just yet. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's in many ways, it's not the strongest Group B. Um, well, the other game, Oli, Olympia 2, always ready. One, I mean, Olympia came into this after... After losing last week and always ready, already had three points on the board after beating Inter. Uh, Olympia winning 2-1. I mean, always ready took the lead. Diego Polenta's own goal uh, after 64 minutes. And then and then Olympia just had a, a very good kind of end to the match. And Roque Santa Cruz equalised to make it one apiece. And then Ortiz uh, popped up with a winner 10 minutes from time. Always ready had a good chance at the end, actually, but, but couldn't take it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a really big result for the Paraguayans who, of course, got massive history in this competition. Three-time winners. Roque Santa Cruz, 39 years of age and really part of a theme, Ollie, this week and presumably a theme that we'll see throughout the group stages of veteran strikers with a past in Europe coming back and still managing to find goal-scoring form in the, in the Libertadores. I mean, Roque Santa Cruz is on the upper age bracket of that at, at 39. Um, but, you know, Carlos Tevez, 37. We'll talk about Hulk and Fred later and Bagesio and all these players. Mid-30s upwards, it's a, it's, it's a real theme. And it's always a, you know, I said this to you in the week and you said, yeah, it's a great theme, isn't it? Of those of those veteran strikers coming back and, and, and banging in the goals again. Yeah, I'm I'm unsure if it's a, it's a great theme for, for us as fans. I, I love seeing, you know, Roque Santa Cruz getting on the score sheet at 39. I mean, it's just... It's staggering. It mm. is. It's awesome. We'll um, talk about Maxi Rodriguez and the Super Yeah, I was going to say. You think 39's old? <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, we'll talk about that. Um, uh, you know, Fred, Hulk, etc. You, you listed the names off. I I do wonder if it's good for South American football in terms of will people look at it and be like, well, look, Fred can still walk through mm. defenses at 37 years of age, kind of thing. Does it shine a glowing light on the on the caliber of defenses? But you can't take quality from the feet. You know, you lose pace. But, like, you know, Dimitar Berbatov could still control a ball right until mm. the very end and find a vital touch. And if you can play that walking football a la Damian Diaz, <laughs> yeah. then uh, then you, you can still do it. And they just need Rocky Santa Cruz to be there to pounce on opportunities like he got in the end coming off the bench and scoring. There's still a lot to like about Always Ready, though, mm -hmm. I feel. Marco uh, Overo, again, who I picked up last week, is just a nasty forward to deal with mm. like a pit bull like a little terrier uh, and the best name in south american football because it's so un-south american harold cummings <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. hitting the uh hitting yeah, the yeah, post the early on it? yeah <laughs> i mean i looked at yeah but harold cummings i mean jesus <laughs> scottish ancestry surely that's coronation street sort of name <laughs> that isn't it uh, but just on the, the the kind of veteran strikers thing i think it's isn't that just it is what it is in South American football. In terms of individuals, you're always looking at two things. You're looking at the young player coming through and how quickly is he going to be snapped up. So you look at the players like kind of like late teens, early 20s. And then you look at the complete other end of the spectrum um, at, the, at the players that are returning after having their spell in Europe or whatever and going back to boyhood clubs or certainly to their home countries where their families are and stuff like that. So when you look at individuals, that's what you get really. The young, the young talent and the returning veteran, everything in the middle has kind of found their career level at, 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 at a club like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, look, I, th I think it's quite fun when you can see somebody, as I say, that, that that's yeah. that old, that 
anybody else. You know, in European football, we think 33. Oh, shouldn't he sure. be hanging up the boots soon? It's like, mate, Kevin Nolan, you've got plenty <laughs> of years left on, your, on yeah. your playing days. Don't worry about that. Get yourself off to uh, Deportivo Tachira. They need some sort of steely <laughs> midfielder to prevent losses like they had against Inter this week. Yeah, it's... it's- when you when a striker's thirty three or thirty four in Europe, you can get away with calling him a veteran in kind of highlights or commentary or something like that. But you can't really, I don't think. He's got to be over thirty five in South American football to be. That's when the back end of the career starts. Yeah, I think so. Okay, you know, thirty two, thirty three is still a whippersnapper. Ab- yeah, really. absolutely. What have you learned in this game at thirty two years of age? <laughs> Let me tell you, when you hit thirty seven, that's when the experience really comes in, <laughs> big time. Um, so in terms of Group B, how it sits after two match days, Ollie, everyone's on three points. So it's a wide open into a top on goal difference, always ready in second place. Um, and the games to come next week, well, a big one. Inter at home against Olympia and always ready at home against uh, Deportivo Tachira. But uh, yeah, it's um, could be anyone to go through. Do we forgive like slow starts in these groups at the moment? For instance, like do we believe more now what we've seen from Inter this week on home soil as opposed to what we saw Inter a week ago? Um, and and where does our kind of form guide lie? Do we look at what we expected going in, how they started or, or how they are at this point? Because after two games, it's really difficult to get a read on any of these sides, basically. Mm. Um, well, I think you, you can't you can't qualify after two games. You can definitely... You can definitely put yourself in a position, we'll talk about Santos in a, in a little moment, but you'll put, you can put yourself in a position where you almost can't qualify or certainly where the, that third group game becomes must win. You know, mm. Santos are going to find are finding themselves in. So, yeah, you, you um, I think you probably need one more match. As soon as you get to group stage, get to the halfway point and you've got three group games under your belt, then I think you really can tell who's what's what. Game day four is the one, isn't it? Game day four, depending on the position you're in, you really know then where where you're actually lying at that point. That's usually where Gashada and River just yawn and, you know, think, oh, okay, we should probably should we get um, going now? We should pick up the three points here. Yeah. Um, group C, Wilson. Um, I mean, it's a really interesting group. Uh, and this week we had uh, Boca Juniors 2, Santos nil and Barcelona 4, the strongest nil. Let's talk about Boca against Santos first of all. Just how quickly things can change. We talked about Santos's, you know, what, what what's kind of happened to them since reaching the final of the Libertadores in, in January, which is so, so recent. Um, you know, the boss has gone, Soteldo's gone, they've lost two from two in the Libertadores. All of a sudden it's just, it's a mess. Two bosses have gone. Yeah. Ariel Holland's gone well, yeah. now as well. It's yeah. like, and apparently he was Didn't under pressure. Long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pressure builds very quickly in Brazilian football, I think. It's, uh, it's a nightmare situation sure. for any manager. And it wasn't disastrous. They looked really good in the qualifying rounds. I mean, mm. you know, regional tournament may not be going as well as they want it to. But what would you rather have? A promising start in the Libertadores or this? And you can't say that getting beaten by this Barcelona side, particularly when what we see this week of another equally good performance by them is it's such a disastrous thing particularly in the conditions as well you've got to take that into account so it's all changed um just another annoying fact for you Windsor uh since his debut in the competition Jefferson Soteldo has created more chances for Santos 39 in 16 games than anybody else in the uh in the club Mourinho is second with 16 in 13 games 
how big does that show the loss of Jefferson Soteldo when everybody talks about Mourinho? Mm. Huge, huge. <laughs> we, we cried about it last week. But yeah, it is, it's an absolute, it's a huge loss for Santos. It's a huge loss for the competition. And for me, Oli, like Mourinho, yeah, he, he's not as good as Soteldo. And I was, I thought it was really interesting how um, uh, Mourinho was really quiet in this one. And I saw Gonzalo Sanders started for Boca. Young player. Uh, I don't know. Mm. I'm pretty sure it's his first start in the Libertadores, or very close to um, his first start. And he just kept, from, from what I could see anyway, from from the highlights. I mean, Marina just couldn't get through him. And when you when you contrast that with to, uh, with um, with how Santos cut Boca apart in the second leg of that semi final last year, I thought it was uh, I thought it was very impressive. Um, yeah, I know the guys on. Uh, uh, Boca and English podcast were talking about it a bit about how Sanders neutralised Marino, and it was really, it was really, really apparent from 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 watching the highlights that uh, they neutralised that threat. And then you're relying on your Marcus Leonardo, a teenager. Kai Jorge came off the bench, didn't really do much. Uh, it's, it's just odd to see to see so much change so quickly for Santos. But first, first before... ever start for Boca for the youngster. Santos, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. quite incredible. Like not not even in the league or anything like sure. that, and he steps in and. and and completely suffocates a player that has been given so much hype over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. I mean, I wasn't that impressed either with uh, Marcus Leonardo. I mean, Boca just wrapped him up, really. He had a penalty shout early on. I don't know what you think about the incident between he and Lissandro Lopez. That is definitely controversial to Santos fans, for sure. It wasn't a penalty for me. Okay. Yeah, it's not a penalty. But I like him. He gets in those kind of positions because he's so nippy, isn't he, and so quick. But again, I mean, you're putting so much weight on a on a teenage footballer, which I think is really, really, which is really difficult. Um, this Boca side, Oli. So Pavon started as well. So you've got the front three of um, Sebastian Fischer, Carlos Tevez, who's playing more centrally, and, and Pavon as well. And they, they were dangerous. I mean, Santos were poor at the back, but they were dangerous. Um, the two centre back, as long as Izquierdos and Lopez play, Boca are just not. They're not conceding many goals, are they? It doesn't mean they win the Libertadores. It doesn't mean, but it just they're just not conceding many goals. Um, so it is there, and I, I know that Boca fans have spoken about the, the fullback positions being problematic actually over the last couple of years, and they've, they've chopped and changed with Fabra and Buffarini and lots of other options. So perhaps Sanders coming in there. Um, and playing well, certainly defensively. <laughs> no, it's the uh, the joke we had last year, which was Emmanuel Mass was like patient zero in Argentina for COVID because <laughs> yeah. we were reading we were reading the Twitter feeds or something, and his name kept on cropping up, but it was nothing to do with COVID. But it was like, let's jump to conclusions <laughs> yeah. here and be like, Mass has brought it into the country. Oh no! <laughs> but he he wasn't playing either in this game. Another fullback that's been in and out in this Boca side mm. over the last year or so. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, Hara as well. I mean, Franco Soldano didn't start, so so there's a sort of a positive. So in played there. with eleven men. <laughs> so nice. he, he actually played with eleven men. Um, you know, Cavani's not going to Boca. It seems Oli, he, he's going to stay at Manchester United. Heartbreaking. Yeah, they don't need an Edison Cavani. They just need a, a top. You add a top striker to this side. It is such a different proposition. Let's talk momentarily about Sebastian Fischer and and how good he could be, and how good he is. I mentioned earlier he's a bit different to Bruno Enrique and, and Honey because he's not so much of a team player, I don't think. He's more of an individual an individual asset. We were so disappointed by him in the semi-final against Santos last year. He just mm. didn't really do anything. But on his day, he scored a great goal last week. Uh, scored the winning goal for Boca last week, didn't he? And was really impressive in this game. And I do think that he is as good as anyone, really, 
in the competition. When when you see him like that, when you see him finishing like that, Tevez slipped him in really nicely actually for his goal in, in this one. But uh, yeah, I mean Sebastian Fischer, I think if he can have a good, if he can have, if he can play well throughout the whole tournament, there's no reason why he can't reach those Bruno Enrique levels in 2019 or the Honey levels in 2020. I think having Tevez playing those balls through. You know, Tevez isn't the out-and-out centre-forward. We've known that for a long time. All the talk last year was Tevez needs another front man ahead of him. Now, Vigier isn't going to be that player. But when they play teams that they can hit on the counter-attack quickly like that and, and there's space in behind the defence, that's when the Tevez-Vigier relationship really pays off because Vigier is so quick and so good at making that run from the left-hand side at midfield and then just curving it down through the centre of the pitch which is what it eventually led to his goal, just sticking just to the left of centre in the left channel and tucks it away. I, I, I mean, there was a reason why there's a reason why I picked him to be my top scorer yeah. after Soteldo because because he he does provide that threat. Now, if teams sit back and that's what Santos did to a great extent in the semi-finals last year, that's when without the space he gets a bit more suffocated and he needs an out and out centre forward to then support him in that way to hold up play to to maybe be more of a target man inside the area. Which one, Chope, you feel could have and arguably should have been that last year mm. uh, when he was healthy and could come back. So Vija is certainly still the spearhead of this side. Everybody can talk about Tevez as much as they want. Um, and he is the creator at times. He is the architect. He got his goal as well. First time he's scored and assisted in the Libertadores since 2016. Um, but Vija is the man who's going to make this attack tick. And they've got everything behind them to be so solid still. It's just working out that final third of the field. And if they can manipulate Vija and find new ways to use him as well. I mean, they, they're still a side, I think, that aren't out of the realms of winning this competition, despite the big displays yeah. from the Brazilians. Yeah, I agree. And I think Tevez, so Tevez now, I think it's 93 goals for Boca, which doesn't actually feel that many, but he's in the, I think he's the top 10, he snuck into the top 10 Boca all-time goal scorers this week. Because of that rotation they have in all the yeah. squads, isn't it? I mean, great to have Pavon back as well. He just yeah. provides a bit more after his time, obviously, in America yeah. last year with the Galaxy, um, which I didn't really hear much about him impressing in Major League Soccer, to be honest, but sure. such a, it looked really good. It was a good front three from Boca this week mm. and something that was definitely absent last season in that style. And obviously not playing with two up front as well last like they did last year. Might be a way forward for them this season. And listen... Miguel Angel Russo, he knows he knows how to win it with Boca Juniors, so <laughs> so we'll see what happens later on in the tournament. The other the other game, Oli, Barcelona four, the strongest nil. Um, I mean, Santos and the strongest haven't scored a goal in their opening two games <laughs> for a start. So so uh, Barcelona Boca looking very much dominant in the group with both with two wins from two. Um, this is the Barcelona side we thought we were getting. Last in last year's tournament, after seeing them so impressive in in qualification, um, Carlos Garces looks looks very dangerous as as kind of focal point to their attacks. Uh, Pineda, it was a deflected goal, but he loves to get forward from the back. Scored their their second goal in what was they scored all four goals in the second half in Barcelona, so it's a really impressive second half performance. Leandro Martinez, who was perhaps the the Martinez that got overlooked a bit in 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 their run through qualification um, last year. He's a really good player. Damian Diaz pulling all the strings. And uh, yeah, and, and then winning 4-0. I mean, another great result for Barcelona after beating Santos last week. Yeah, they had a nice uh, little loving on Damian Diaz on one of the stats websites saying that he had eight passes that created clear-cut chances, making him the most impressive assist man of the week in the mm. Copa Libertadores. 
What I do know is that I have footage of Damian Diaz running. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe, you know, that's what takes Barcelona yeah. to the next level is when he puts a pace in, they bag four goals uh, on home soil against the strongest. But uh, yeah, I, I think you're, uh, yeah, I know exactly the moment you're referring to. I can't remember whether it was the kind of second assist for Garcés' goal right after halftime. But I know he's on the right-hand side, isn't it? And he just breaks and Drills it into the yeah. near post. Yep, yeah, there's a, a nice bit of sprint. Um, I loved Leandro Martinez's slotted finish you think he's going to pull the trigger and he passes it firmly into the far bottom corner at quite a difficult angle as well it's a very experienced finish from he uh carlos garces as you say looked awesome byron castillo as well i mean this kid on the right flank Mm. is just he and pineda and pineda's goal looks great because of the deflection Mm. and uh, yes it's a deflection but it does look fantastic the way it loops over the keeper but those two just love to bomb forward and support the attacks and castillo i yeah, I'd be surprised if he's at Barcelona for much longer if one of the bigger sides around... I mean, I know River Plate are stacked at the moment at right-back position uh, with Vigo waiting in the wings as well. But there will be somebody that will fancy him. And Boca, you know, they they could do with a, a really good right-back and left-back, arguably, if they're still rotating around. That'd be somebody to go and pick up if they can scrap the money from somewhere. They're not paying it for Cavani. So. Sure. But yeah. Barca were awesome i just what's changed from last year and this year yeah i i, I also think there's a couple of players that, that we've spoken about but you don't hear too much about maybe pinatares i think is a really good player holds in the center of the park and the goalkeeper javier barai he's really really good as well i mean they haven't conceded a goal but barcelona in the first two games and he's um he's a really good keeper so what's changed uh i don't know to be honest <laughs> i mean it's the same manager it's still fabian yeah. bustos yeah. you know it's it's everything we saw last season in the qualifying rounds. It's, mm-hmm. as you say, it's the side we were expecting. I think it's important to say it is against the strongest Bolivian football, difficult on the road, generally considered whipping boys when they come to your town. But um, the yeah. big ones, I mean, they play Boca next week on the 4th of May. I think we'll know, um, we'll, we'll certainly know after that. You know, exactly in, in Guayaquil, Ecuador, how good Barcelona are maybe. Um, you know, maybe Boca as well might um, might rest a few, might might chop and change with the with the league in mind. So, yeah, I think we'll know after that one just uh, just where we are. I don't think Santos are out of this group yet. I think that they play the strongest next. I think if they win and Barcelona drop points against Boca, I I don't think they they're, they're out. Barcelona and Boca could end up hitting each other neg- quite negatively sure, sure, when, they, when or... they end up taking on each other. And if if Santos can get into some sort of form and rhythm. It's whether they can find that though. That's that's the big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say they're they're definitely not out of the group. It's, we're two games in. You can't say anybody's really out of the groups at the moment, especially if you're a big side that's got a solid squad that's still got good players in it from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I'd say it's far tougher when you see what Boca and, and Barcelona have done in their opening games. Boca, by the way, first team to ever reach twenty five victories against Brazilian clubs in the Libertadores. The only team with over twenty as well oh that's a good start to combine with their what was it last week their first win in Bolivia in 51 years or something like that yeah in, uh, against the strongest dropping, week, dropping so. all the knowledge bombs on this uh, <laughs> yeah, on this yeah. one very nice uh, so yeah Barcelona and Boca uh, currently places the top two in Group C <laughs> D, let's start with uh, River Plate 2, Junior 
one, uh, River after drawing away at Fluminense last week, pick up their first win in the group stages. Um, it wasn't, from what I saw of it, it wasn't a particularly impressive performance from River. Uh, Hector Martinez, the young defender, uh, opened the scoring. And then Julian Alvarez, who is very much the kind of next big thing at River. Some people thought the breakthrough would come in 2020. Let's hope we see it in 2021. I know Joel um, has kind of eulogised about him and says that really... You know, they're expecting really big things of Julian Alvarez. So be interested to see how he progresses, especially with Suarez not involved at the moment for River. Mm. Um, and it's a really good goal from uh, from Alvarez as well uh, to make it 2-0. And then uh, Miguel Borja scores right at the death. But, but Junior had chances in the game, actually. And, and River weren't totally comprehensive at all. We don't expect them to be in the group stages. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, I thought Palavacino as well. I know Pete was talking about how uh, lots expected of him coming into to this Riverside. Uh, it was impressive and, and Nico de la Cruz played quite well. Bore was quiet. But River ultimately with, with, with the three points. Penalty. Junior denied a stonewall penalty to me in this. Uh, and, and it's yeah, cruel it's... because Hector Martinez is the offender who pulls back on Miguel Borja as the ball's coming across the top of the 18-yard box. I mean, it's a clear tug on the arm that slows down a forward from being able to latch onto a cross. There's no way... I can understand how that's been missed. And and then Martinez goes up the other end of the field and ends up opening the scoring for River. Julian Alvarez, I mean, kind of had that breakout last year. Five goals in the Libertadores and a lot of them from substitute appearances. I, and I remember we had the discussion of why isn't Gachado playing him in the latter parts of Didn't the tournament. Didn't see him, did we? Didn't get involved at all. Mm. Um, but he's given him, he's started the first two games uh, alongside Boré and has impressed, has impressed more than Boré. So... He's earning his place in this competition in the starting eleven in the Libertadores at the moment, and and he's an important figure already, I think, as well. The twenty-one-year-old. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it. I just love. There's no VAR, of course, in the group stages of the Copa Libertadores, so I love. And you know what? The world keeps spinning, Ollie. Somehow. How long? How long until that changes, though? I mean, Ugh, I mean, probably next year. <laughs> no, really. I mean, how yeah. long can you? How long can you keep it up? I mean. It's so difficult to implement, though, in some of these stadiums in the far-flung yeah. reaches of South America, though. And I... Yeah, I don't think that tournaments should have it in certain parts of the tournament and not in other parts as well. I mean, we still do that in England. When oh, the FA Cup. Yeah. It's a joke. It's like, oh, the there's VAR in that game. It. There isn't VAR in that game. I don't know how they're doing it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange. Um, are you saying there are problems in football and the organisational setup from time to time? <laughs> Only in English, though. Only when the organisation will set up to try and get too involved in the game. If you just yeah. leave the game alone, it's, it's <laughs> fine. Um, elsewhere, uh, Santa Fe 1, Fluminense 2. And a couple of goals for, for Fred in that one, Ollie. We, we talk about veteran strikers. And, you know, you talk about not leaving, not, uh, yeah, not, that goal-scoring instinct never being eroded. Very much the case with, with a few of the strikers this week, I thought. Some fantastic finishes. And Fred, absolutely no exception. Actually, Fred is still, you know, he's... he's um, Yeah, he still looks really, really sharp. He, uh, you know, in Europe, well, he, was, he played so well for Leon, didn't he? Won numerous titles with them. Of course, was part of the Brazilian national setup. And, I mean, he looks, yeah, looks really good still. Really awesome first touch for his opening goal on the edge of the box. It's that definition of a striker's touch to get it out of his feet when it's right underneath him and mm. he does it so well so perfectly uh, that sets him up for his first I mean again we've waxed lyrical about the elder statesman but the the youngster as well Kake looked Kaiki Kaiki excuse I think me it is. Uh, looked so 
up for it. Yeah. And you know what? I th- I'm really enjoying the fact that he's gonna he's got his big move already. He mm-hmm. knows he's leaving. He's not going to be at this club uh, after the next few months. But he's busting a gut for a minute. He's not phoning this in and being like, oh, I'm off to Europe now, lads. Don't worry about it. Mm. Which sounds like it's ludicrous to say and to be pleased about. But in the modern day game of football, you could see that being something that a young player would and easily humans do. humans being humans. Yeah. Like, you know, that, that's, that's part doesn't of it. doesn't matter. I'm going to get paid in sure. Europe. It's all good. Um, What's he doing going to Manchester City at 70? What's the point? Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you're not, like, you're not even nearly going to play football. Is he going to get a chance? I mean, no. They're basically buying him in case he, he ends up massively being... fulfills this hyperbolic potential and then maybe, Ollie, he'll get in the squad in four or five years' time. So, uh, yeah, if, even if you put money to one side, I mean, I guess you could say the experience of being part of that kind of setup and amazing training facilities. And Surely, surely you loan him back to Fluminense immediately and do that because... Okay. What, do you want to do? You want to have this guy playing in the EFL trophy on Tuesday nights in front of no one when we didn't have COVID restrictions, taking on like, and no discredit to League One and League Two sides, mm. but, you know, Gillingham and, and, and those sorts of teams, when surely he's going to be tested more and stretched and be able to develop in a scenario that's more comfortable to him if he's staying in Brazil a bit longer, or if you're going to put him in the first team and really involve him with Manchester City. But if you've got that kind of asset, do you say, oh, just get him here, get him, you know, with his English lessons three times a week, get him involved in the under-19 setup, make him part of the football club, and then if we want to use him when he's 22, we will. I assumed South American, you know, Spanish and Portuguese were the main languages at Manchester City, to be sure, honest. So the English sure. languages aren't really that useful. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I can I can completely understand that idea. I just, as you say, I think it, it will be a shame to see him lining up at Highbury Stadium against Rotherham in an EFL trophy game next season on a really cold Tuesday well, night or something like that. It will be like cold that. as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah not, it is going to be a shock to the system. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of two match days in Group D, Fluminense and River, both with four points, it's hard to see the Colombians, I think, Ollie. Yeah, they, they created a lot of chances. Marcus Felipe had a really mm. good game between the posts, actually made some great saves for Fluminense to ensure they got away with all three points in the end. But one right at the end as well, really, really impressive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, unless things change fairly dramatically in terms of their results, it's going to be it's going to be tough. I think them and Junior are very similar in their football and the the level they're at. And I think we've already seen that River and Fluminense are just that little bit better, even when River may well be going at a canter to start. <laughs> Mr. Wilson. Um, the results this week were Racing 2, Sporting Cristal 1, and Sao Paulo 2, Rentistas 0. Should we start with Sao Paulo 2, Rentistas 0? Let's start with the Brazilians who just look as good as they did last week, really. I mean, credit to Rentistas who surprised us a week ago, being able to pick up a draw in their first ever Libertadores outing and were, and were very good. But um, I, I do think that perhaps... Sao Paulo, once again, just made it look very easy for a lot of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought uh, we, we spoke about Brentistas getting the, you know, making their debut in the competition and 
even though Racing scored late, they'll be pleased with the point and that kind of thing. But you sense that at the time that it was the, it was actually a really big deal that they didn't pick up all three points and that Racing pinched a point at the end because it's going to be tough for them. And yeah, Sabala really really impressive. Um, seventy five percent possession. Yeah, they, I mean they were dominant. Yeah, um, Danny Alves looks way better for them when I see him now than he did than he did previously. A great penalty, but from Ronaldo right at the end, one of I mean many fantastic penalties this week and yeah this underneath that flamengo palmeiras double header of of top sides and i think they are the, the the two best sides in the competition by a mile you've got this kind of second tier of brazilian sides and sao paulo very much part of that yeah um there were a couple of moments that were a little edgy for them the uh bruno alves leg out that upended franco perez mm. and no penalty was given and again i was a very surprised considering it looked like there was contact, even though uh, Franco Perez seemed to make a meal out of it. Uh, Rentistas were better, far better in the second half and created more chances just to keep Sao Paulo on their toes. But for the majority of the game, you know, you you didn't feel there was ever going to be a chance of Rentistas getting two goals back, even if they were able to scrape one. Um, yeah, I mean, they could have had more as well, the Brazilians. You know, there's one opportunity when Luciano closed down a, a clearance from a goalkeeper and and if he looks up, he sees Pablo there in acres of space and an empty net and instead he goes for goal himself and ends up fluffing the chance and that would have given them an earlier breakthrough than than they already did. Yeah, they look like they're playing with seven, six or seven up front at times as well. Mm. They're just mobbing the 18-yard box every set piece and whenever they come through on the counter-attack, everybody looks like they just want to get their names on the mm. score sheet. It's It's kind of a joy to watch, but it's like car crash football. You're asking against a bigger and better side to get completely destroyed on the counter-attack. Boca would make a mockery of a team that played against them like that if you commit that many bodies forward. Sebastian Vichy's got so much room going the mm. other way. But look, let it continue. It's, it's really fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, the other match was Racing 2, Sporting Cristal 1. Racing, of course, coming into this one after, after a 1-1 draw against Rentistas last time out. And... Um, yeah, Racing opened the leads. It was Juan Cáceres, the the young defender who actually scored last week, and he's, he seems to have a bit of a goal scoring instinct. Open the scoring here, uh, and then Christopher Gonzalez equalised for Sporting Cristal, and Thomas Chankalai scored another late goal for Racing. Not quite as late this time around, but uh, he got the winner for the Molly. So um, yeah, I mean it's a, it's a good win for Racing. Yeah, Chankalai better with the ball at his feet, but seems to be able to do it with his head as well mm. off the bench and uh, and getting that late winner. Um, the sending off Lucas Orban just a oh, horrible I mean, challenge. Yeah, it's just stupid as well. How how do you lead an aerial challenge with your elbow and knee? Like the knee into the spine looked really ugly. It's the forearm that gets him sent off though. Yeah, I think. I, but I think it's the knee that does more damage to to the player that he clatters. Probably because the forearms kind of just around the neck. It's like yeah. oh, and you see guys make a meal of that. But then the knee follows through middle of the lower back and you see it on the slow-mo replay of it's being like first contact, ow, second contact. For fuck's sake, mm-hmm. man. Um, and he comes that, it's, it's not one of those where his arm's up just because he's trying to create some leverage either, is it? No. You know, it's the downward movement of the for- forearm. And, you know, there's no VAR. So all he needs to make sure is that he, if he wants to do that, he just needs to make sure he's, do it does it while the referee's not looking right but he does it <laughs> right in, inside of him um yeah crazy moment really yeah marcus raquelme's layoff for the uh for the equalizer for sporting cristal was really nice but it's a good win for racing it it's probably not as impressive as they would hope but they will always argue that you know early in the second half down to 10 men to come away with three points is exactly what you want from that in the end so 
it's it's a positive result on home soil. It, it highlights again the golf perhaps that Sporting Cristal have with the the two best sides in this group. And then Rentistas, look, then they're still lingering around. They might cause problems for Racing at the end of this group stage. Yeah, I mean, I think they showed in in the game last week that they can match them. And this Racing side aren't so good that I, you know, I think in the remaining four games, I don't think they're going to win three or four of them. Sao Paulo might, but I don't think Racing will. So from that perspective, I don't. I think the second place in this group is still very much up for grabs. Um, and you know, Racing face uh, home against Sao Paulo in Buenos Aires next time out, and Rentistas home against Sporting Cristal. And if Rentistas could, you know, at home pick up a win in that one, I think Racing will drop points against Sao Paulo. So then, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to see the debutants sort of take this group right to the last game or two, wouldn't it? You want to see them at least pick up a win, yeah. you know. And I want to see the Uruguayans do well as well. Yeah, well, you, you come to my neck of the woods and we'll, we'll talk about that later on this afternoon, <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, group, so yeah, uh, Sao Paulo, top of Group E with two and some two and Racing second uh, with four points. but perhaps the, the kind of group that well one of the weakest groups I'd say out of the set um, in terms of this this week there was yeah I mean uh, <laughs> what, what can you say about Nacional 4 Atletico Nacional 4 there's there's plenty to pick apart the two sides trading eight goals um, yeah it was an absolute thriller the kind of Copa Libertadores game that, that, that you just love but I mean Real disappointment for Nacional of Uruguay. Uh, uh, Nacional of Uruguay, yeah, to, to be leading 4-2 and, uh, and and to be hauled back right at the end with two goals from the Colombians. We could talk about Gonzalo Bagesio's hat-trick, which makes him the second oldest player to score a hat-trick in Copa Libertadores history. In 30, I don't know, in 36 36 years of age, something like nine months and something days. But he's the second oldest player to score a hat-trick in Copa Libertadores history. Strong. And the first since uh, 2003 to score a hat-trick for a Uruguayan side in the competition. Ooh, that's really good. Yeah. The uh, Martin Liguera uh, of Phoenix in 2003 was the last yeah. player for a Uruguayan team to bag three in a game. But yeah, Nacional uh, would be gutted to have ended up not coming away with the with the victory in this. I mean... Credit to Atletico Nacional going down and uh, salvaging themselves from almost complete despair late on with uh, some impressive goals. But uh, Bagesio was just it's, awesome. It's Unplayable. such a hat-trick, isn't it? Yeah. It's such a hat-trick. That first touch where he's... Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just quality as well. And the bullet headers as well. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's an amazing hat The header from the set piece sure. is like... I mean, it's a great ball in. I will say, Atletico Nacional defensively looked disastrous. They, they looked fun going forward. And, you, and the build-up for the Andres Andrade goal, uh, their second just before half-time, which was immediately replied two minutes later in first-half mm. stoppage time by Nacional. But um, the... the back heel to the ball on the overlap that's then drilled in low and eventually it, it, a little bit of uh, good fortune it falls to Andrade but 
Atletico Nacional looked like a really fun, you know, we heard a lot, um, we have heard a lot about Colombian sides being great going forward and great attacking football. And uh, we, was it last week or a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about like the cocaine football days of Colombian football. And I mean, this kind of was exactly like that. It's all just, let's go forward. Let's just get everything yeah. forward, everything forward. Get back defensively. <laughs> nah, forget that. We just got to keep going forward and find goals. And it, it salvaged a point for them in the end. It was an unbelievable game of football. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, but at 4-2, the own goal to make it 4-3, Really, um, from Orejuela, wasn't it? Yeah, he gets himself. It, it, you know, it's not like it's not an own goal that he had to make contact with it. He's just kind of backpedaling, and it's just really, really messy as it loops inside the penalty area. Orejuela gets himself in a in a real mess. Don't think the goalkeeper covers himself in glory either. And that to bring it back to four three just gives Atletico Nacional the bit of impetus. I mean, how about Barrera and Andrada though in terms of their form through qualification and into the early stages of the, of, of the groups? I mean, both really really exciting. Of course, you've got Duque as the the kind of central point to that attack. But um, yeah, I mean, both are absolutely flying. Yeah, it's, as I say, it's kamikaze football. They're just—it's all about bagging goals and seeing how many you can get in, and and it's a, it's really fun and exciting. I don't think it's going to give you a long tenure in this competition necessarily, mm. but in this group, like a shootout is probably what you're going to end up needing to get past the likes of either Nacional or Catolica, who look like the weaker of all the sides at the moment in this group, and then and then Argentina's juniors are. Every Argentinian, and we know a few Argentinian kind of football experts, all of them said they're going to really struggle, not only in this group, but in this tournament. They're playing some really nice football. The mm. first goal they create in their 2-0 victory over Catolica is, oh, the, the through ball down to the right channel and the space and then the vision by Sandoval on the pullback uh, to find Christian Florentin. Absolutely awesome. I mean... A real treasure and surprise, the first two performances from Argentina's juniors. The the win over Nacional was impressive. This victory was even more so impressive, though, on the road against Catolica. Mm. Two 2-0 two victories. Haven't conceded a goal so far. Um, yeah, six points from two. I mean, they're kind of in control of Group F, which <laughs> which is a bit mad, really. Uh, they... is, it, is the fixing because of the Maradona tunnel? Yeah. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They just—I uh, think they—they they play really well. They play really well um, too. But it's—it it, for me, it's just not a good group, and it's just—it's—it's it's quite open. Um, uh, I get nervous every time I see Mister Wilson twitching. There's an array of audio and technical visual equipment, Wilson, which Wilson's all over the puppet master. Pulling the strings. Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's a great setup. From the elevated GoPro setup. That's yeah. where I pull the strings from. He knows, he knows. <laughs> um, so, yeah, two, two games played in Group F, Argentina's juniors, top of the bar with six points, two wins from two. And next up, uh, on the 6th of May, they travel to Atletico Nacional, It'll be a big challenge for them, and Universidad Católica. Uh, Gus Poyet's Universidad Católica, home against Nacional of Uruguay. <laughs> G. Wilson. Let's start with, um, well, I mean, t- t- two good contests. Let's start with Flamengo 4, Union La Calera 1. Union La Calera was somehow convinced that it was a good idea to play so high up the pitch. They were basically at the halfway line, which is okay. That's interesting. That's a different tactical debate. But Flamengo are a very good side anyway, and you don't want to hand them the opportunity to look even better than they actually are. And if Bruni Enrique 
Gab, um, Georgian de Arascaeta and Gabby Goal are going to be given that much grass to move around into, then they're going to be clinical. They're going to score a lot of goals. They scored four, could have scored way more. Um, you know, um, Gabby Goal. Let's talk about the specifics in a minute. I just want to say something about Gabriel, Gabby Goal, Barbosa. And that is when we talk about the veterans this week, Ollie, that have been banging in the goals Fred, Hulk. Tevez, Bagesio, I'm sure I'm missing another couple. These veteran strikers that have gone to Europe, been successful, come back, now they're banging in goals again in the Copa Libertadores. That's fine. There's kind of a there's kind of a, a a sidebar to that in that they're they're quite old and doing it. But Gabby Goal is a 24-year-old goal-scoring machine and he should be playing in Europe. I know he lives in Rio. I know Flamengo are giving him a big wage. I know he's had great success with Flamengo and will continue to do so over the next couple of years. And he's, he's loved there by the fans and all of this. But these are the years, really, for Gabby Goal. And he, in my opinion, he should be playing in Europe. And I don't say that about every player. I don't think Soteldo should have moved to Toronto, for example. I think he should have stayed in South America. Mm. But I do think that, that Gabby Goal could bang in goals for almost any club in Europe. And, and I, I'm surprised he's still there. So the thing with Gabby Goal is he has every quality to be a great centre-forward in a situation that works for him like it does at Flamengo. But has is the attitude there? It's something that's been discussed about him when he was so lacklustre in European football. The moment he came back to Brazilian football, it wasn't of a case of does he have the ability. It was always the case of is the mentality going to show that he can produce at Flamengo. And he did pretty much from the get-go. Because they made sure that he was the star. He loves being the star. They're, every good centre forward has that ego on him. You've seen it in the greats in European football all sure. down the years. You know, even those that you don't necessarily think would have that. You know, Rude van Nistelrooy, relatively quiet, but he had that ego massively. When you hear him talk about how he wanted the ball at his feet all the time, how he wanted to play, how he wanted to be the star man. So, for Gabby Goal in Brazil. It's not about the talent. It's about the situation working well for him. So don't change that because as soon as you change that, as soon as you drop him back into European football, I fear that the ego will be there and he won't feel he gets the respect or maybe the attention that he deserves. And that leads then to potential negative spirals, poor performances. Mm. But is that not giving... Gabby Goal and neither Ollie nor myself know Gabriel Barbosa on a personal level. But are we not giving him... You wouldn't think that from how I've just described his whole character. But... And we live pretty similar lives considering, you know, we, we, we sat here and uh, he, he's... he's uh, yeah. Have probably... I pointed you to the wide shot, by the way, when you <laughs> see the full, full place? He's probably, you know, in a penthouse overlooking the Coca-Cola And we're not quite there. But I think you're, that's not... That's not giving any kind of space for individual development as a man. So when he went to Europe, uh, when he went to Inter in like 2016, so what's that, five years ago? Yeah, he's a very young man. So he's a teenager then, right? It didn't work out for him. I know he had a brief loan spell. I'm looking at his stats now for Benfica, barely played. Um, He scored one goal for Inter and then quickly came back to Brazil. So I don't think at 24 years of age now with, you know, he's proved his point in South America. I mean, his, his moment... His, his uh, performance and, and goals and, and late winner in the final against River in 2019, that's iconic. You know, that's as a striker, if you said, what would you want to do? It's, oh, well, what's the biggest tournament I can play in? Can I score a last minute winner in the final? You know, he's, he's done it. He's, he's yeah. achieved it, won everything with Flamengo. I just think that um, 
I think it's surprising to me that a European club hasn't, I'm not even going to say take a punt on him because that's, that's. I think that's almost not fair. Like it's wrestled him away. It's, it's from not Flamengo. a punt if you're a guy that finishes inside the 18 yeah. yard box consistently. What, what do so many teams as well that we see play football in Europe lack? You know, we, Barcelona created and Spain created the, the false number nine and all this kind of mess. But really what every single side wants is a guy that can provide 20 to 25 goals a season. Yeah. That's, all you want, goals win games. If you've got somebody that provides that and you can get the service to him, that's all you need. Romelu Lukaku, exactly the same. United couldn't provide for him, goes to Inter, he starts smashing them in because sure. he's a finisher. Gabby Goal has that in his locker, there's no doubt. And so, yeah, it's definitely not taking a punt on him. But because of the blemish on the record, and I think it's right, you should look at it as players and, and men and people can develop mm. particularly from 19 to 25 you know that's a huge developmental stage of your of your adult life in in learning how you deal with adversity how you get to grips with things is it worth the punt yet though and how much would it take to get Quite him out of bit, flamengo right? as well because flamengo they're not a club that desperately needs the money like like so many others on the continent it's it's certainly an interesting point i think um you know I'm not comparing him to Haaland, for example, at Dortmund, but it's the cut because I don't think he's got the same physicality, and I don't, he, you know, he's no, not... Gabby goes in the box in the 18-yard box sure. only. Haaland does more across the field. Yeah, but he's still a. Oh, he's a great finisher. Yeah, yeah. Haaland is is a, is very essence like just a finisher. Um, so I'm not saying he could play at that level, but yeah, I, I find it slightly surprising, and I think um, yeah. What level then? What what sort of caliber team do you think? Because again, you have As to take. You say, it, the, would you sacrifice being in potentially fighting for the Libertadores every year to be scrapping to maybe make the Europa League with with a side, you know, like a, a Sampdoria in Italy or a Fiorentina or are you thinking grander, slightly more Champions League ambitions type side? But I, I think the point is here that as well is that he can go to a mid-tier Italian side, a mid-tier side in any of Europe's top five leagues. But South American football is always going to be there for him, Ollie. What I'm trying to say, I think, is that he can look at Hulk and Fred and Tevez and Bagasio. 20 years on his <laughs> yeah, age, and think, he? <laughs> and think, okay, I could stay here now, but also I can go away for 10 years and kind of, you know, maybe not have the most successful career in Europe, but really test myself for the next five, 10 years in Europe. I can come back to Europe when I'm 33, 34, and I've still got five great years of playing. Mm. He'll, you know, he'll be a Libertadores club when he's 33, 34, 35, no problem. So I guess what I'm saying is that this is his window, really. Um, to go at 24. So it'd be interesting to see how that one that one goes. I mean, Deir Eske had to score the, score the winning goal against Velez last week. I bet he couldn't believe the, the space he had to score his goal against Union La Calera after Bruno Enrique just slipped him through. And it did just look to me like Flamengo had so much space. It was crazy. Um, Gabby goal gets a brace. But we need to talk about Pedro's goal, Oli. Five minutes from time. And Pedro, this is an example of how good Flamengo's squad is. Talked last week about how they've retained, really retained the vast majority of that um, group of players from 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 2019. And Pedro is a player that we didn't really we didn't talk about too much, right? 23 years of age, was always kind of on the fringes. Spent a few a few million on him, uh, but he scores a really for for me it's the best goal of the round. Scores an amazing goal inside the penalty area. And just kind of shimmies and slaloms. And what I really like about it is the way Dara Escaeta almost takes the ball off him and he just nudges. He just has a little right arm. They're no, so, no, no. They're, they're, yeah, they're so close together. And Pedro, who, you know, George and Dara Escaeta is, you know, one of these 
one of Flamengo's key players. And he just pushes with his right arm. Uh, Dereska off the board. I really like that arrogance. Really like that confidence. Tucks at home. Shows how much quality Flamengo have got. Um, do, you th- do you think if it's not against Union La Calera and they're not three one up that Arascaeta is allowing himself to be pushed off the ball in that way? Or, you know, uh, you, if, they're, you, if they're desperate for a goal and it's maybe one you know, one or something. Do you remember the the is it Michael Owen pushing Paul Scholes off the ball in ninety eight against Argentina? I mean, I'm not comparing the two foot, but it's, I think it's Michael Owen's. He doesn't quite push him off the ball, but it's a. Uh, yeah, it's Michael Owen's solo goal against Argentina and Scholes is about to take it and he finishes anyway. But uh, yeah, it's a great goal from Pedro. Flamengo looked dominant, scored three goals against Vélez last week, scored four this time around, you know, similar to Palmeiras, just scoring goals for fun at the moment and uh, comfortable three points. I'm not, what can you say about Union La Calera? What better sides than them, Oli, are going to go to the Maracanã this year and get battered? But it doesn't help if you play that high up the pitch, does it? Yeah, and they're playing, you know, Flamengo are playing with half a back four as well in this game and they created very few chances. Uh, Mauricio Isla, who, who only played twice, in the Libertadores last year, one of those was in the 5-0 loss to Independiente Del Valle when the squad was stretched and the other one filling in uh, against Racing. Uh, and the new boy Bruno Viana as well, who hasn't obviously got up to speed in chemistry with William Arau just yet as a centre-back pairing. So the the fact that Flamengo conceded in the manner that they did, getting beaten over the top in behind, I mean, mm. that can happen when you're playing with two of your starting back four against a, a side in the Libertadores, but it's not a great side for Union La Calera. There's, you don't learn anything from this game except that Flamengo is still a very good team, basically. Mm. Um, Liga de Quito against Vélez Sarsfield, though. I think you learn that Liga de Quito can bounce back from adversity and frustration in their first game. They were awesome to watch. I was just wondering, though, Johan Julio, do you remember there were the two Julio boys mm-hmm. in the kind of leading the, the front four for Liga de Quito over the last couple of years? Mm. And Johan Julio's still at the club, but not featuring this year. Okay. Which it seems like just a lost opportunity for somebody that was so good sitting off a centre forward, yeah. particularly a week ago. I mean, it didn't matter too much with their 3-1 victory over Vélez. And a Vélez side that tried to give as good as they got, but just didn't get the breaks in front of goal, it felt like. So this highlights the scrap for that second spot in the group this game and that although it's a hefty margin of defeat I think eventually for Vélez Sarsfield take into the account the altitude and everything like that and on the road I think there's actually not much between these two sides and the battle for second place can be wide open from this point on yeah it's going to be really tight um Liga de Quito they've just got some elements of them which I just really like obviously apart from the fact they're playing Quito Pablo Repetto I don't know whether you saw much of um, him pottering around on the touchline Ollie, but because it's raining he's got this combination he's got this you know, the manager with an umbrella look. It's a really, really tough one to pull off, right? I mean, ask and, Steve McLaren. Of course. That iconic in, in, in if you follow kind of English football, the English national team, the Wally and a Broly, Steve McLaren. It's a really tough one to pull off. I think you could probably pull it off if you're like a Carlo Ancelotti or someone... I don't know. You can't be an you can't be an animated manager with an umbrella, and that's what Pablo Repetto Pablo mm. was. He was just racing up and down the touchline. He hadn't altered anything to do with his like gesticulation or energy, but at the same time, he's carrying this umbrella around, and it just looks really silly to me. <laughs> but his side did him proud. Played really well. Martinez Borja's always going to score goals. Uh, Zanino got the other. Uh, one player to look out for. Ollie. Keep an eye on uh, Jordi Alcivar. Like really good player in the centre of the park for for Liga de Quito. Just a kind of clever, languid style. Um, yeah, I was impressed by him. And and as you say, second spot in that group is going to be, it's going to be a really, really interesting one. 
fourth time Liga de Quito have scored three or more goals against an Argentinian side. They are the side who have done that the most number of times in the Copa Libertadores, and they've done it to four different Argentinian teams. Can you name those four teams? Say it again. So they've scored yeah. three or more goals four times against Argentinian sides in the Libertadores, three and they're the team goals. that's done it the most. So they've done it against Vélez this week, who are the other three different teams. Well... Do I just play the odds and think of Argentine sides that are in the Libertadores so much? I it, mean, is it in recent memory or is this scrolling back 60s and 70s? This is scrolling all the way through the years, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to say Independiente, the King of Cups, just because they're in it so often that. Good shout. Yeah. Good shout. That's one. Um, I, I mean, the easy thing now is to say Boca and River, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say San Lorenzo. No. Huracan. No. Boca and River. One of them's River. <laughs> <laughs> the other one is Arsenal. Okay. I just wanted to put that in for Arsenal fans, basically. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Um, yeah, so Flamengo cruising Oli. Two wins from two in the group. Liga de Quito sat second. Be interesting to see how it plays out next time. Christian, Le- Christian yeah. Martinez's header, by the way, for the, the first goal for Liga de Quito. And, and the, the form of the Colombian in the last Good few player. months. 24 yeah. goals last year in the league started this tournament really brightly now um was very impressive as the uh, as the front man mm. and could build a forward line around him for Liga de Quito yeah yeah it looks good and when, when we're trying to find reasons outside of the Argentine and Brazilian clubs Oli of you know we, we've kind of been pushing it the last couple of years and as it, as it keeps going we, we we get a little bit more desperate of what you can find outside these big Brazilian Argentine clubs of a side that could go deep I guess Liga de Quito got to be pretty high up on that list they're one that are kind of consistently there in the last yeah, couple of years yeah, in the yeah. knockout stages and one that you feel with the advantage of of the home field and and the quality and pace that they can play with they're, they're a team that quarter finalists is not out mm. of the realms of possibility at all and once you get to that point you know, it's a cliche. It's, you know, it's two games over two legs. Anything can happen. So no yeah. reason why they won't be making the knockout stage. But this Vélez side is fun to watch. They created a lot of chances and just screwed up their opportunities. There was one early on for Juan Lucero that he drags wide of the target rather than testing the keeper properly. And yeah, you just, again, feel that there are missed opportunities for, uh, for Pellegrino's side. <laughs> I'd almost rather stay talking about this group <laughs> than just... Group H, to be honest, because it's like, isn't it such an anti clip We start with Group A, and then it all just starts to trickle <laughs> down in the end to uh, to Group H. Sure, I mean, let, let's um, let's whiz past then the the only nil nil of the the sixteen games this uh, this week. Olisera Porteño nil, Deportivo La Guaira nil. I mean, not too much to say. I, I don't think unless you got some. Go I've on got then. I've got one thing to say. Hit me. Deportivo La Guaira didn't have a single shot in this game at okay. all. Not on target, not even attempted. You either give them credit for a nil-nil draw that they quite clearly were desperate for on the road, mm. or you say it's a frustrating team to have in this tournament when we've had so many exciting performances, even from some of the lesser sides as well. For Cerro Porteño, it's kind of embarrassing, I think. I mean, it's not just kind of embarrassing, it's very embarrassing a club of their level that have been so good in this tournament for a number of years and and regard themselves in such high esteem in Paraguayan football um but if to, you yeah but if you said to Sarah Porteño uh you got two games first away at America de Cali second at home against Deportivo La Guaira and you know you get four points from them be top of the group then then there'll be um 
you know, they'll take it. But yeah, obviously, it's, it's, they didn't create much and it was um, it's pretty poor all around. Atletico Mineiro 2, America to Cali 1. Good win for the Brazilians. Much, much better, more entertaining game to uh, to finish off with. Yeah, I mean, look, the last of the old survivors, Hulk hmm. coming on off the bench and, and scoring and getting two, one from the penalty spot. And Atletico Mineiro don't still look like the side that some people said they were going to be uh, solid. It's how I think they look rather than exceptional. Mm. Uh, kind of frustrating considering both you and I are big fans of Nacho Fernandez and that move to Atletico Mineiro. And you just wonder why. Yeah. Because you're not playing in that exciting a side, really. Same no. with Matias Saracho, to be honest, after his move last year. Yeah, I know. I agree with you with Nacho Fernandez. I mean, it wasn't very impressive at uh, the back end of his time at River. And so, I mean, I know he's essentially gone there for money. And I don't mean that in a, in a, um, you know, in a derogatory way because he's to- he's totally entitled to it at his age to get that kind of really big, big contract. Um, but yeah, he 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 doesn't he hasn't really excelled so far, and it's it's difficult as you say because it's not really the kind of fluid um, passing side that that he's used to perhaps at River. Um, yeah, but uh, but anyway, Atletico Mineiro with the win, Hulk with a couple of goals. Hawks is his is not as old as I thought he would be. It's only because he's been around for so long, yeah. I guess, right? Because I was like, yeah, Fred, 37, that checks out. Tevez, 37, that's right. Um, you know, some of the other Rocket Santa Cruz been around forever. What's, You're like, yeah. what's Hulk, 34? Yeah, something like that. Okay. So still, you know. It's still it's, life in him. You, you, yeah. He could be playing in Europe and you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, he's completely done and dusted. Mm. It'd be like, all right, is this the last year coming sure. up maybe, Hulk? But even in Europe, you know, he played for Zenit and Porto. He never really... You know, Fred was more on my radar, I think, because that great run with Leon and obviously the other players as well. But Hulk, I don't really remember any great moments from him in Europe. Kind of faded into slight obscurity after the success with Porto, I think. And it was more the performances and being around the national team that kept him in such high regard and in fans' focus, I I imagine. Um, And if you go to Russia as well, yeah, you you kind of drop off the radar, don't you? Because Zenit went there and had their big money moment. And then it didn't pan out for them. They didn't become a, a European juggernaut like they thought they were going mm. to. And and Hulk and God, who was the holding midfielder that also went? Oh, there? Um, it's from the Belgian, Benfica. Belgian lad. Yeah, Witzel. Axel Witzel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he went there as well to try and kind of start that process of getting great young talent across the Zenit, and it and it didn't really come to fruition in the end. Under AVB as well, wasn't it? Yeah. So, where's AVB these days? Was in France. Was it? Was it? Uh, the last I remember him, he was at Marseille. But I'm sure he's got a move since then. Really interesting guy, Andre Vierschbosch. Um, You know, from sort of starting out. That well, this is a tangent now. He was always given such a hard run. Uh, he was a terrible fit for Chelsea when he when he went there. But I remember he's like he was director of football for the Faroe Islands at like 21, and then he also competed in the Dakar Rally. I mean, some. You know, really. obviously, isn't you know you go Tottenham, Marseille, yeah, and then Dakar and Rally. He's still probably about our age. Ridiculous. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that wraps up. Uh, that wraps up the groups then for the for the second match day two. Um, in terms of Group H, Sarah Porteño uh, and Atletico Mineiro both on four points um, in the top two positions. Of course, the top two go through to the to the knockout phases of the Copa Libertadores. Um, yeah, well, it was another great round of fixtures, mate. Awesome. Uh, so glad that the English football seasons are kind of coming to a close at the moment and this is going to continue at least through until the end of May. And then we have to take a break. 
<laughs> and you yeah. kind of don't want to. Like yeah. the the foot on the gas to, at the first two weeks has been exceptional, and the standard of football, the entertainment is totally there. Mm. I think it just means now work kind of drifting off in the UK a little bit more. Mm. It's going to be more late nights in midweek. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of late nights in midweek. That's it for this week on the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast. If you want to get in contact with us or follow the show, you can follow us on Twitter at WillWinPod. That's at WillWinPod. Use the hashtag WillWinPod as well in any tweets towards us. Uh, you can follow us individually as well. One man who has suffered so much from the football social media blackout in England this weekend, David T. Windsor on Twitter. That's at David T. Windsor and myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson. We'll be back in a week's time with a look at the third games from the group stage in the Copa Libertadores. Until then, let's hope that there are more twists in the road to Gloria Eterna for us to dive into.